I'm glad to have you back. I'm your host, K-Town, and you're listening to Mysterious Radio. We're going to be changing the format of the show just a bit where it's more intimate and you're going to hopefully feel that at the beginning of the show, which requires me to lean in a little more and for you to hear my voice a little more. And in the way that I interview my guest, I hope that it makes you want to tell your friends that it is an enjoyable experience, even if you do not agree with anything that my guest is discussing, but that you appreciate the fact that I'm bringing these people to you and allowing you to ultimately make up your own mind, which is very, very important in this day and age where uh, you see others being censored all the time. I will never do that. I do try my best before I interview a guest to um, let them know that it is very important that they feel like they are in a safe space and that I won't judge them. This is a no judgment zone and that you guys won't judge them. Okay, because I want them to say whatever is on their mind. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life every week. All right. My special guest tonight is William Ramsey, and he's returning to the show to discuss Aleister Crowley, who was a controversial occultist and a ceremonial magician. And many say he was a traitor to the British people. And we're going to hear all about his dark behavior right now. William Ramsey. I, my first book that I published almost 10 years ago was titled Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley 9-11 and the New World Order. And it goes back as basically a biography about Crowley. Uh, his real name was Edward Crowley. He was born in England in 1875. But he went on to kind of become one of the more famous, if not the most famous modern occultist. And uh, he died in 1947. So I really kind of went through and w- tried to go back and get my own view of what he was really up to. He's a complex inf- individual who really never had a, a normal job. He was come, came from a wealthy family. Uh, his dad was sold beer and kind of like snacks throughout the pub system in England. And so it afforded Crowley, who was an only child, kind of the best of the best. And he was a member of what was called the Plymouth Brethren, which it actually was a subsect of the Plymouth Brethren. Uh, by a guy, it was a subsect called the Exclusive Brethren, and the original teacher was John Nelson Darby. Might be familiar to some people. Uh, he was kind of the original dispensationalist, and he had a kind of a very rigid religious structure. Structure. His father was a pamphleteer for this kind of uh, version of Christianity, so he went around and preached. And unfortunately for Crowley, his father died when he was twelve. He was left in the care of his mother, and. Uh, he didn't like the care of his mother or his uncle who took over his life. So he kind of had some things, problems with that. But he came from a religious, uh, rigid background. He was able with the family money to go to the best private schools. They would call them public schools in England, but the best private undergraduate style schools. So he was well tutored and trained. He was went into Cambridge, was one of the schools. 
in the city of Cambridge for the um, exclusive brethren. So he was in this kind of uh, rigid environment there. He didn't do well. He got very sick. So he had real problems with the kind of structure that he grew up with. He was able to get into Cambridge. And uh, while he was at Cambridge with all these other people, the future king of England, he said, here I am among the glories of the past, and I intend to be one of the glories of the future. So uh, with family money, he really never had to work. So he he was involved in really three things. He thought of himself as a poet, and uh, he wrote and published many poet, poem, uh, books of poetry. He was also involved at the beginning with mountain climbing, and he did a, a variety of different uh, ascents throughout Europe and actually in the Himalayas. And uh, he was then it was also the occultism. So he's fascinated with the occult and uh, kind of went in and joined these orders. He heard about this group called um, the Golden Dawn, which was an early magical yeah. group. Mm-hmm. And he joined the, the Golden Dawn with some other luminaries like uh, – Butler was uh, was William Butler Yeats was one who was a much more fam- became a much more famous poet than Crowley, but uh, so he was in there kind of with this elite. It's a post um, Masonic order, so you kind of went through Masonry and then into the Golden Dawn, and that really influenced Crowley. He took a lot of this, the information and ideas and rituals, and kind of used him for himself and started his own order right at the turn of the century. Yeah. And that, that was called the AA or Astrum Argentum or Silver Star would be the translation. And uh, so he just kind of went forward. He, he was uh, he, really the, the pivotal event in his life is something that happened to him in 1904 in Egypt after going. Hold on. Don't say that yet. (laughs) Hold on on that because I want to, I want to ask you something before you go, go too far. Um, you said that was like, um, the, the golden dawn was, I guess it was like, uh, something that the elite were in who else in that period of time would you consider elite that we may know of? Uh, I think one was Bram Stoker or Abraham Stoker. The guy who wrote Dracula was involved in that. William Butler Yeats, I think is most like he had some very, very famous poetry and also mixed kind of with the elite. But those are two people who come to mind that the public would probably know who were involved in the Golden Dawn. Okay. So what, what do you think was the draw to, to joining something like that? I mean, do you know what they were wanting to accomplish? I mean, what what was their goal? I mean, I, I think the Golden Dawn represents this Golden Dawn of these new ideas that were circulating at the at the end of the 19th century. So a lot of ideas came from the East. Uh, the Golden Dawn was influenced by Blavatsky, and so they were they were trying to have this wisdom, but also practice magic. So they were involved in ritual magic and. Uh, and I think for power and also just to satisfy their curiosity. And I think it's an important element in understanding kind of elite behavior because most of those people were educated and part of the, the upper level social structure. But uh, I think that that's really – they were kind of just adventurers in this kind of magic that didn't really exist in organized societies. Maybe the Illuminati or something like that had rituals back in the 18th century. But – um, the Golden Dawn, at least in Western Europe, was was a remarkable point, and it's still being practiced today. Golden Dawn magic, magic. Uh, came, there's there's outfits in the United States that are affiliated with the Golden Dawn, so it's still kind of around. But I think that that's really what Crowley was doing was the seeking of knowledge, and really becoming 
this kind of occult expert. And I think that's what he was trying to do with these other people. Like if you listen to Yeats, it's pretty remarkable because his poetry, he said, magic was all that I was and all that I did. He, he was really using these magical techniques to kind of inflame his mind and inspire his poetry. So, uh, and Crowley himself, I think used magic to get what he wanted to, whatever it was, money, you know, relationships, anything like that. So, um, I think that that's really was the attraction for people and, and kind of moving away from what they had as kind of the Christian worldview. They, this was an opportunity for people to move away from maybe what they thought of a state or, um, you know, a religion that didn't have any modern impact for them. So I think there's a lot of different reasons that people got involved in the Golden Dawn. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this. Um, where was he conducting his ceremonial practices? I mean, do you know the locations? Well, the, like the, so it was in London and they used these Masonic orders or the Masonic halls. One was right outside of Buckingham Palace that I, that I remember. There were different temples uh, throughout England. But uh, I think that the original temple was in London. And uh, I don't remember offhand right now what the actual place was. But, yeah, there was definitely affiliated with the masonry. Okay. Um, I saw a picture of him when he was younger and he was in his like um, his ceremonial robes and things like that. He really reminded me of the guy, the young guy that they portray in Harry Potter. Tom Riddle. Tom Riddle. There you go. <laughs> Tom, Tom Riddle. Yes. He reminds me so much of him. I'm, I'm wondering if. Well, it's an interesting that, connection because yeah. there is kind of a cruelly connection into uh, into Harry Potter, actually. Really? Or magic. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, Harry Potter himself. So, I mean, we that's kind of a tangent, but uh, Potter is alchemical. So you're clay, working clay. So Harry Potter, that's his name. So it's alchemy. And... Uh, there's all kinds of other things involved in there, five and the six. So Harry Potter's name is an 11, which is Crowley's number of magic as well, or really just the number of magic. So um, the writer of Harry Potter was uh, very smart. She knew a lot of stuff. And I think one of the figures in there is really taken as kind of a exemplar of Crowley. I can't remember the character's name, but uh, there's, I mean, it goes on and on. The wand that Harry picks out is 11 inches long. So there's all kinds of 11s. She was very smart at the very, from the very beginning, from that first book, uh, she integrated tons of magical, Western esoteric magical ideas, no doubt. That is interesting. Is she interested in, I mean, do you know if she attends some of these Ceremony. That's an open yeah. question. I mean, there's a lot of good questions. I uh, there's it's kind of like you're back in Shakespeare. Like, who really wrote this book? Did she really? Is her story about being a single mother writing this book out at a coffee shop while she was on, you know, welfare really true? Because I remember that she was friends with somebody else, so somebody might have been feeding her ideas. And uh, is that first book is very skilled. And the Sorcerer's Stone is like a play on the Philosopher's Stone, which is something that Western esotericism is involved in. So uh, there's some open questions, but I've heard her say, literally say, I, you know, the, and it's in one of her documentaries about her. It says, I always want to see a little bit of magic in people. I don't remember really? the verbatim state. Yeah. So she knows she's much more savvy about the occult and Western magic than maybe the public would believe or no. I think it would be very scandalous if people really understood. In a lot of ways, you when you read Harry Potter, you're getting an introduction 
into Western magical tradition. That's right. Really. You're exactly right. Yeah. Being yeah into, I've heard that being, before. Yeah, you're being initiated. And I've heard some of those magical things that she put in there are literal spells. Spells. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, literal spells. And they're, they're yes. speaking them out and kids are listening to, adults are listening to them. It's weird. Because, you know, I've always wondered, you know, did she study occult history? You know, what kind of influences did she have upon making eight movies? Out yeah. of this stuff, you know. I think um, those are the number one best-selling books of all time, really. I think worldwide, it's a global phenomenon. It's very remarkable that she had it down, settled. And like when you travel to um, Hogwarts, you go to the train station and you get into something called nine and three quarters, right? Yeah, yeah right. And 93 right. is Crowley's number. 93 is Crowley's number. He actually – that was an important number for him because – in the Kabbalah, there's a subset of the Kabbalah called Gematria where words have numerical value. And so two of the most important thing, words for Crowley were agape, which is love, and that in Greek translates to 93. And then the will is thelema, which in Greek translates to 93. So a lot of these guys will like use the word the number 93 as kind of a sign-off. Instead of saying love under law, love under world, will they say ninety three, ninety three? So you see that in Harry Potter. So there's a lot. There's a lot. She she was very smart. I mean, she wrote it when she was thirty two. I know she has a classics background. I think she has a degree in classics. Yeah. But how much she's exposed? How much English people are exposed? Like Crowley is considered in like the hundred greatest Englishmen who've ever lived, right? And so in these kind of like rankings of important people, Crowley's there, and. Uh, a lot of people may be exposed to it much more than I did. I didn't really know much about the deeper understanding of Crowley probably until I was 40. Yeah. Well, we're going to call a thing a thing. I mean, there's too many coincidences for her not to have looked at that or studied him or someone is feeding her this information and deliberately putting that in the movie um, probably to influence the masses. It's pretty wicked, man. Um, what about the Book of Law? Um, so that's tell me about where, that. Yeah. So the Book of the Law was kind of Crowley's core book. When he was in, um, he was in Cairo in Egypt, and he had been in the king's chamber inside the the main pyramid there. I think it's the te- pyramid of uh, Giza. Giza pyramid. He had come out, and his wife, whose name was Kelly, her last name was Kelly, she whispered to him, "They are waiting for you." And so he starts asking her these questions: "Who's waiting?" He proceeds to do a ritual in his apartment in in Cairo, and over three days, um, in 1904, I think it was April of 1904, he uh, he said that some entity dictated to him a book that he titled the Book of the Law, which references the chief book in masonry. So he's using that same terminology. Uh, so you make a oaths on the Book of the Law in masonry. So he called it his Book of the Law in three parts in three days. He said that some entity had power over him. He just wrote it down. And those writings are actually available. You can see that he's kind of scribbling almost as automatic writing. And you can see that in my documentary about Crowley, which is Prophet of Evil. It's on Vimeo. And uh, so he wrote this down. That became a central piece. It was dictated to him by a being he called Awaz, A-I-W-A-Z. And it became this kind of central focus of a lot of his future religion. And so the rituals he wrote for uh, the AA and later the OTO always involved the Book of the Law, and that became a referential piece. And uh, it's very vicious. It's broken up into three parts based upon what he called the Stella of Revealing. 
which was in the Bulak Museum. Back then it was called the Bulak Museum. It's now called the Egyptian Museum, which had all these old artifacts. And that Stella Revealing was in a bookcase that was uh, numbered 666. So all these tie-ins kind of – and he, Crowley would later call himself the Great Beast 666, referencing well, – That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. So all these tie-ins and that became kind of the, he became this, he, that's how he called himself a prophet. He was a prophet of Awas. This book was announcing a new Aeon, which is like a new era, like even a broader, more, um, I would say a more, not a more aggressive era for sure, but a very, uh, an era that would last a long time. So he was trying to announce the magical era. He was its prophet, which is why I titled my book Prophet of Evil, because he was going to create this new religion. And he really did create a new religion and it, with the intent in part to overthrow Christianity. And uh, so that, that was really what happened in 1904. And people still go back, like Jimmy Page went to Egypt on that exact date that Crowley received the Book of the Law, 100 years later, to celebrate its writing. And uh, so people really, I mean, in the cult community, the Book of the Law is a well, kind of fairly well-known. Yeah. And uh, celebrities, uh, I heard that celebrities really study that book. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. And a lot of his people who followed Crowley studied it, um, tr tried to extract its codes, and take it apart and figure out, you know, there's there's parts in there like there shall be one who comes after. So a lot of these people are trying to carry on the Crowley tradition. But, uh, yeah, and you'll see it in the center. When he created his rituals, one was called the Gnostic Mass. The center of the Gnostic Mass or the table is the Book of the Law. And uh, so, yeah. So that was really the key element of Crowley in 1904. And it really didn't stop for Crowley. He just kept moving on and writing more books and associating with other occultists. And eventually ended up in the United States. He was in New York for almost the entirety of World War One. He actually um, came to the United States on the Lusitania, the sinking of which was what brought the U.S. into World War One on the side of the Allies. And so he came to the States and really his job, I think he was working as an intelligence asset of the British government, working to get the U.S., which was a central component in the kind of U.K. strategy, was to get the U.S. in war on their side. So he was actually kind of working around and, and talking and actually worked for a, a pro-German propagandist uh, by the name of Virek, called, and he wrote for a book called the – or a publication called The International, and also the other one was called Fatherland. And he writes about it. He wrote uh, – Crowley was a voluminous author. He was just putting out documents. He wrote a 400, 500-page autobiography called Confessions, and he details kind of his time in New York City, um, kind of subverting German propaganda and promoting English propaganda. He did in, in the, uh, New York. He had this kind of ridiculous stunt where he got in a boat and uh, <laughs> rejected his – he ripped up his – supposedly ripped up his British passport and declared alliance with Ireland, who was uh, trying to achieve independence. And actually, it was posted in the New York Times, so you can actually see that actual document of this kind of. And he Crowley was known for doing these kind of publication stunts, and that was one of them. And uh, so he was there. And there's a really good book called Secret Agent Six 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 that talks about his time as an agent in the UK. Yeah. And that author got documentation that said that the U.S. knew that Crowley was a British asset. 
and it's written there like we're cognizant of the fact that Crowley is an asset of the and that's so I think he was probably always working for Brit some form of British intelligence prior to MI5 and MI6 from the beginning from when he left Cambridge yeah well wait a minute one thing this just jarred my memory they said that um all the J- the James Bond movies were really about him well the original one for sure is and Fleming Right. Ian Fleming was the author of the James Bond novels, and he worked as in British intelligence underneath the Admiralty. So kind of like the most important aspect of the British Empire was its fleet. Right. So he was working for a guy, but he actually was in contact with Crowley. There's actually a letter Crowley sent to his boss when Hess, if you remember, Hess made this. He was number three in the Nazi party. He was uh, he made this weird flight over to Scotland. If you remember that, he was captured. He was trying to contact what he thought were right-wing people to try to make an armistice with Germany. And he was like an occultist too. A lot of those Nazis were occultists, actually, Hitler as well. But the And Crowley said, I'm offering my services to you if you want me to talk to him. And here's people that I know. And so that, that letter does exist. So Fleming, knowing of Crowley, when he wrote his first book, it was Casino Royale, that character, Le Chiffre, is based on Crowley. So when you see the bald guy at the table in the first movies, I don't know how he's reformed or replayed, but the original Casino Royale character, the shift translates to the cipher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely Crowley. So they knew Crowley. And, I mean, 007 goes back to John D. actually. So yeah, John yeah, absolutely, D. Was yeah, sure does. That whole so, tie-in is just so fascinating, man. Yeah, but, I mean, Fleming knew a lot of stuff. He was an elite family banking family he put a lot of information into his novels that was real like he talked about the cirque which is literally a fascist organization post-war fascist organization of wealthy people fighting against the communists so yeah there's all kinds of stuff in there if you really take yeah unpack it that's like another one kind of like harry potter where they're putting in uh stuff that's really kind of uh real that's yeah they're learning it from real real world um, is he the one that first mentioned the age of Aquarius? Crowley, not to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, all right. He would call it. The but did age he of, make emphasis on it? I mean, did he tell them not how? That much. Okay. All right. He, his, his ages were the ages of Osiris and the age of Horus. So he was trying to bring in the age of Horus, this Egyptian God, right? The hawk headed God. And so the age of Osiris was a representation of Christianity and Horus was this new magical future. So he didn't really talk about it. Great. Uh, Aquarius per se, but he did talk about the birth of that child. So it was supposed to be the birth of this new Aeon. And he actually predicted it, that it would take place in the 60s after he was dead. In a lot of ways, that 60s kind of revolution can tie itself to Crowley through Kenneth, through uh, Leary and some of these other characters. Like Leary said, he was carrying on the work of Aleister Crowley. So uh, those are all kind of important tie-ins, but yeah. No, not not. I don't remember the age of Aquarius being really any t- central tenet or gotcha. concept within Crowley's writing. Gotcha. What about okay? So tell me about when he because but uh, this is so disturbing. I hate to bring it up, but we have to talk about it. Um, where where did the sex magic and the pedophilia come in at? So. What when Crowley was doing his research, so he comes out of the Golden Dawn, right? So he learns all that stuff. But then when he comes out, he starts creating his own rituals. And what he finds is he likes to integrate into these rituals drugs and sex. So they become part of these rituals, which which he 
that was kind of like uh, his addition to the magical practices. This is what's happening. And that's actually what happened when he got involved with the OTO, which is a German secret society. They came and said, you're stealing my ideas, which they had come up with sex magic too. So he had it. So involved in these rituals would be sexual practices. And in a very, that's very obtuse intentionally I mean, because it gets pretty graphic. But then he started his own. So he was in the U.S. He actually, once the Lusitania got sank, the U.S. went to work. He left the U.S. He says his work was done. He writes about it in Confessions. He comes back to England and decides to open his own kind of magical fraternity, like kind of like the Golden Dawn, but he calls it the Temple of, or the Abbey of Thelema. And he chooses some kind of out-of-the-way out place in Sicily and starts this up. And he's Crowley is always like part of his practice and part of kind of magical practice in general is to keep a diary. So you become and you write down your diary, what happened, what what effect happened after this ritual, blah, blah, blah. But in there, there's something called the magical record of the B666. And somebody went through there and read it. And in that, he talks about raping his, his girlfriend at the time, their baby who's like one years old or two years old or something like that. So really graphic, bad, you know, awful stuff. But there's all kinds of problems. Like Crowley himself said that kids should not feel ashamed about sexual activity so he would encourage kids to watch that young kids and there's all kinds of records of these young kids who are at the abbey of philema with the words they're talking about what they learned from crowley are off the charts like i'm gonna be the next beast after crowley the six-year-old kid writes and those That's are kind awful. of certain awful. records yeah it's unbelievable it's pretty fascinating because one of the girls who survived the abbey of philema only lasted about four years before it was literally shut down by benito mussolini uh, kicked Crowley out of Italy. Uh, Crowley also got kicked out of France too. But one of the women from there actually made it all the way to the States and she passed away in Berkeley, I think only like 10 years ago. So she had this long life uh, in the States away from Crowley, but there was a weird tie-in. She made it all the way over here. So um, Berkeley, California. So just an interesting story. So that's really Crowley's. And I think that there's other, like, the book of the law announces total freedom. And so anything that would like any rules or laws against that freedom Crowley didn't agree with. So that included pedophilia. So, uh, there's, there's, a some very disturbing stuff there, but that, that's, uh, you know, they talk about child sacrifice and some of Crowley's work, magic yeah, and theory that was and practice. My next question. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, but they always kind of pro Crowley people, uh, rely on other people not reading through Crowley stuff because there's so much writing, but I've had the misfortune of reading through it. So there's other references other than in magic and theory and practice. There's one in a, uh, one of his rituals, which is called Lieber 66, which 66, it's a, you know, a multiple of 11 talks about child sacrifice. The blood shall cover the altar as of wine. He writes about kind of his, in his poetic style. And then there's another book called, the world's tragedy for Crowley, the world's tragedy is Jesus Christ. And in the intro of that, there's child sacrifice. That's how it starts. So he does hint at that. I mean, there, I mean that's not a hint, but there there are pieces of that in his writing, no doubt. Oh, now. OK, so you OK, you jarred my memory by a lot of things. OK, so let's start here. Um, let's go back to Italy. You said he got kicked out of there, but I'm Correct. wondering, since so many people uh, are learning that the Vatican has a second, um, I say a dark side and a 
and a and a facade. They have a facade, okay, and then they yeah, right. they have a a very very dark side, supposedly. While he was there, did you find out anything about him having meetings or conducting any type of rituals or anything while he was there well, with the Vatican in, in connection with the Vatican? Not to my knowledge, but he was in Italy, and he was. It's interesting because he was. He spent three days in Rome watching the black shirts under Mussolini kind of take over power in Rome, right? So literal fascists took over power. Crowley's sending missives back. He's constantly writing. There's actually a lot of letters that are from Crowley to various people um, in libraries interspersed throughout the world. And so he's sending stuff back all the time, probably talking about what Mussolini did. But um, And that, that actual that – actual, takeover in Rome inspired Hitler's putsch in Germany, believe it or not, because he had seen Mussolini take over. And he's like, well, let's us take over. Anyway, um, so, and the tie-ins between Crowley and, and Hitler are somewhat interesting. We can talk about that. Yeah, but yeah. as far as the Vatican, he did not have uh, that much attack. Although later there is, I can't remember his name right now, but he was a higher up in the Vatican, who was a member of Crowley's OTO after he became head of the OTO in 1925 wow. and put in other rituals that included the Book of the Law. You know, there's been priests who were uh, members of the OTO and before the war, actually, Crowley, which is you know, people may not, you know, anticipate this or be aware of that, but like a third of the OTO members were from Jewish background. So there's a lot of different strange, you know, things that you maybe counterintuitive and people involved in these secret societies, at least back then. Yeah. Let's talk about the Hitler and Crowley connection, because I was going to ask you about that anyway. Um, go ahead and tell me like when that started, did, did Hitler um, just tell me, well, <laughs> I'm well, not quite I mean, sure what to ask it, but as you talk, I'll, I'll figure it's out. It's not that obvious. So when, when Hitler's coming up, right. So he gets done with the war goes into a mental institution or a sanitarium, comes out, starts getting involved in politics, or he's probably, a, I mean, Crowley, I mean, Hitler's like Crowley's probably, a, he was working for intelligence when he started joining some of these groups and as a corporal and, and giving information back to the handlers. But he was a member of the GWP, or it was really the Deutschland Arbeit Partei or something like that. But that guy was a, a uh, member of the Thule Society, so kind of an occult order. And there were supposedly a lot of occultists involved when the ENSDAP or the Nazi Party started. And um, that so, didn't have anything to do with Crowley at the time, getting, or were they yeah, already working doing up it? to it? So these are occultists, but there was somebody by the name of Consul, her name was, who knew Crowley and was trying to get the Book of the Law to Hitler back in the 30s. And Crowley ended up in Germany from 1930 to 1933 as the Weimar Republic was waning and the Nazis came into power. So there's some arguments about what Crowley was doing in Berlin and doing around in Germany at that time. He did Crowley did showings of his art in Berlin and he's probably still working for, you know, the British intelligence trying to figure out what, you know, what's getting me information about what's going on in Germany. And uh, so Hitler himself was familiar with I cover this in my book Children of the Beast. He kind of has similar ideas as Crowley, there's ideological similarities and overlapping because Hitler, if you remember the Riefenstahl documentary titled Tramp of the Will, so he had this whole idea of will, and that goes back to Crowley 
And Thelema, right, is the will, the human will. So you kind of see this willpower theme between Hitler and Crowley, and as well as magic and dates and numerology and all kinds of other things, astrology that Crowley was into. Hitler was, it was also influenced by astrology. Um, but there are some, certain things in his speeches like there's a quote from the Book of the Law that states, success is thy proof. And Hitler repeated that as well in some of his speeches, that kind of axiom, like it doesn't matter how you get there. You just want success overall. And uh, so there's definitely definitely some similarities between Hitler and they kind of had the same like cruelly wrote about his philosophy. He believed the slaves shall serve, right? That's actually a line from the book of the law. And Crowley believed in a natural aristocracy. He was not an egalitarian. He didn't care about democratic processes. And he believed that. And you could kind of see Hitler as implementing those ideas as somebody who believed in a slave state and believed in kind of an aristocracy and the kind of like the whole other mass of people you know, he was talking about a master race and all this other stuff. And I think that was right in line with kind of Crowley's political writings, although it was never something political that Crowley was able to implement. He was much more of kind of like a, a cult scholar or something like that. So there's definitely overlapping similarities. And there's actually kind of an interesting story. There was a guy who was a Crowley associate. I've actually held a correspondence between Crowley and his name was uh, Osmond Spare. And Hitler asked Spare to come to Germany and uh, paint his portrait. So there's weird kind of connections there that I don't think have really been um, investigated in great detail, the connections between the OTA and Crowley. I mean, it is very odd that Crowley in, in 1925 becomes the head of a German secret society. Yeah. Even yeah. that. So, And Hitler actually ended up banning a lot of occult groups in like 1939 or something like that. And uh, – so a lot of those people were filtering around, and I, I don't – you know, it's probably a function of language to not know as much as I should, but there's definitely some strange correlations and overlaps between Hitler and Hitler. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think Hitler was the second Antichrist? Well, I would definitely put him in the Antichrist category. Like I think that – I mean – that's another thing is like people say, oh, yeah, he's a Catholic, but he didn't operate like a Catholic or a Christian. No, he didn't. So – um, I would say I was definitely an antichrist figure. It's an interesting question because, you know, some people see him as atavistic, an avatar of something, some other thing. But, uh, yeah, I see him as an antichrist figure for sure. Oh, for sure. Okay. Now, um, going back to the sex magic, we'll touch on that just a moment because this is what I heard. You can just kind of confirm it if you, if you know this. Um, that one thing he was trying to do was help people manifest things that they wanted. So they were using sigils and things like that. Right. And the, those would stand for whatever, like say wealth and other things. And so the idea there is to pass that intention straight into the subconscious mind to manifest it, you know, yes, right at yeah. the point of orgasm. In certain parts, yeah. Certain parts of that magic is to do, yes, that, that's one yeah. of the things. Exactly. Yeah. Like we can go into, if you want to get into another thing that involves Crowley in France in the 20s, is he was involved in something called ECL, which stands for Erotic Comatose Lucidity. So he had just gotten kicked out of Italy. He went back. He had a friend named Harris. He was also kind of a writer of pornographic, not well, at that time considered pornography. Uh, today it would be very tame. But um, he was staying with Harris, 
And then he had his wife was O'Hara, and she was friends with supposedly Barbara Bush's mom, right? So he was over there. But Crowley's practicing ECL. Well, the requirements of that form of sex magic is to have servitors, women, and then the main magician. And you basically are supposed, I think it's pretty graphic, you're supposed to have intercourse to the point that where you're in a coma and then drift out of your body and come back and then write about it. So that's the part of comatose lucidity. And so that, and the times do make a uh, matchup between Barbara Bush's conception, birth, and when she got married to George Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush in 41, I think it was. So it's 25. And you got to remember the time, too. That was the Paris is the city of light and all the rich people in the U.S. wanted to be there. And I can't remember her original for last name. But anyway, so she she was off supposedly operating as one of these servitors in the sex magic. And it's interesting, too, because when Crowley was in um, New York, he was mixing with kind of like the cognoscenti, like the intellectual literary elite as well. And that same kind of thing seemed to happen in Paris at that time. So ECL, ritual, sexual servitors. So that's just one another aspect. I mean, I know, fortunately, know a lot more than that, but. Yeah, you're, they're, they're different components, but that's like another broader thing. And that's supposedly why Barbara Bush looks like Crowley. If you look at her, she has a huge head. She oh, looks wow. just like Crowley. And Crowley himself was actually of Irish extraction. He had kind of a, a large, I mean, his, just his anatomy is he had a bigger head than his body. And he tried to cover it up by wearing like, you know, uh, scarves and things like that. But he just, he was, he was looked like that and bald and, uh, he looks alive. You put pictures of him next to Barbara Bush. It looks pretty damn similar. And then we can I'm go. I'm look at that now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can go and then take that all the way because the reason I wrote my book about 9-11 is that all these 11s are in the event of September 11th, 2001, which is an 11, right? So uh, there's a correlation of these elites tinkering around. or They're not dabbling. They're very deep into the occult. And uh, some of these rich families have that same ideology of the slave shall serve. I'm a, an elite, I'm an aristocrat, and all these peasants uh, serve me. Dispensable peasants. Like, I think Crowley said, we shall give them the quiet wisdom of the cattle. Like, he knew what he was doing. He just wanted them to, the, the whole part of the population to kind of just be something like an asset, like a human resource you just you just glom off of. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So let's um, kind of stay on that with these cele <clears throat> celebrities and some of these famous people, because I've heard like when you see, um, let's just take, for instance, Cat Williams. I don't know if this is true or not. This, this is what I heard that the reason why he was getting put in jail and having all these, you know, unfortunate things happen to him is because he wouldn't, you know, participate in a sex magic ritual that they wanted him to participate in. He didn't want to do that anymore. And I heard that that is something they do to like, uh, kind of charge, I guess, charge their power or something. I'm not sure. Um, can you elaborate on that if you know anything about that? Well, I mean, I think that they definitely are trying to get charged power through magic. Crowley himself talked about that, like his magical rituals would give him power and then he'd write a bunch of books. But uh, as far as like the elite that people know, Jimmy Page is definitely influenced by the cold and some are known and unknown. But um, a lot, there's a lot of rappers, a lot of, 
you know, this one guy Absol. There's some of these other young like Chance the Rapper. One wears Crowley shirts. So is that Chance? Can, I think it's, I think it is Chance. Yeah, I know it's one of them. It's a young looking guy. Um, have you ever heard of Absol? No, I haven't. No, yeah, he's fully like a Crowley follower, and he has like do with I think it's uh, do what thou wilt on his back and a big tattoo. Oh yeah. What but, about Drake? I've seen him wear. I don't know. You upside know, I don't down know. crosses. There's pictures of him wearing it like on red yeah. carpet. He wear upside down cross and. I've heard stuff about stuff. Drake. Like his introduction was like homosexual rape. I heard that that's happened to that guy. That's a rumor. But uh, so a lot of these strange things do happen. So. so these people, some of these sex rituals are very strange, and a lot, that's maybe what's happening when some of these people get inducted or initiated. Is actually, it's not just rape; it's a sex magical thing of uh, power thing, you know. So, um, as far as like the celebrities who are known Crowley people, there's all kinds of these directors who know about Crowley and know about the occult. So, um, yeah, it's there's a, there's a lot out there, yeah. Um, what about, I want to know if you've heard about the, I think it's called the castle of dark mothers. I think. Yeah. It's yeah. in like uh, Belgium or something. Yeah. Like that. It's a wicked place. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know about it? Well, I mean, I've heard things about that. There's rituals there, that there's elites there. I've heard that the George Bush's thousand points of lights is a reference to that place. Um, when he made his thousand points of lights speech. So I don't know kind of the totality, but. You know, a lot of these big castles and stuff, there's weird things that go on in there. Like if you look at Eyes Wide Shut by uh, Stanley Kubrick, that was based upon a Roth. That was actually filmed at a Rothschild castle. So, you know, there's probably all kinds of weird occult uh, elite magical stuff going on. In some, and probably that, that, that the Mistress of Darkness castle you're talking about or whatever is probably one of them. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so let's talk about what kind of because people are going to ask. Okay, he was trying to contact something or something. Was he contacting demonic entities, fallen angels, something like that? Absolutely. I think from the very beginning. I think probably when he got done with the Golden Dawn, that was what he was doing. So he like his first big ritual that he did. He went and got this manor up on uh, on a lake in Upper Scotland. He called it Bullskin Manor. And he conducted this ritual that supposedly was going to take six months. It was the ritual. It was the Abra Melon ritual. And like entities infested that place. He said he saw demons out there. So that was kind of like his first. Uh, it was a Loch Ness, actually, the same place with the Loch Ness monster. Some people have tried to tie that to Crowley. I don't have any idea. But uh, so that was the first one. Then we talked about Awas dictating the book of the law. There was another entity called the Wizard. Um, during the Alamantra. So he had these like magical, like maybe the conception of what magical ritual is to like, oh, I'm going to do this for a half an hour and be done. Well, Crowley would have something called workings, which would take place over a long period of time. So he would, he would call them different workings. One was Alamantra working, the Jurensis working, but they would take place over a week and he would write all this stuff down about what he did, what happened, things he contacted. The Alamantra working he did in his apartment place, I think it's at 1 Washington Square in New York City. And the results of that, he wrote down kind of like the first picture of a gray alien that's kind of infused and, you know. You got to be kidding me. Wow. No, no. So the first picture of the gray alien was written, drawn by Crowley in 1918. And it's the end, at the end of a his encyclopedia called the Blue Equinox. And uh, you can actually just type it online, just say Crowley 
gray alien. And that's the, really the first it's brief, like it's not a photograph. It's not, he called it lamb. So he kind of gave it, it, the word lamb is kind of like a derivation of llama, like the Dalai Lama. Dalai yeah, Lama. yeah. Dalai Lama. Um, so, um, yeah, but some of these workings and some of his astral travel, he's out talking to things, you know, and writing about it and taking writing pictures about it. So I would say that he's constantly talking to entities, and in his diaries, he's like praying to Awas all the time. Oh, I see him upon the walks there, the rocks. There is Awas, my benefactor, my holy guardian angel. Blah blah blah. So, um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable, and then. You can get into the whole gray alien ufology stuff, and it goes back to, in part, Crowley. You have to put it back to Crowley in part. And some of these other guys, like some of these guys who are involved in um, UFOs are also involved in the occult in a big way. It's not a joke. So Wait, 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 wait. Uh-uh. You can't skip yeah. over that way. <laughs> okay, well. Wait a minute. Okay, what do you, are you, you mean, okay, so, no, you're going to have to elaborate. Let me say this one real quick before you. Before you do that, because, okay, so there's a split, a clear divide on um, the the alien phenomena anyway, from my experience in interviewing all these people, some of them believe that these are true beings coming from outside our planet, you know, and, you know, highly intelligent, things like that. But then you'll talk to some of them who also tied in with um, the Bible, and biblical prophecy and things like that. And they'll say, no, these aliens are demonic in nature. So that really shook me when you said that, but go ahead and tell me, can you tell me like, do you know who, as far as these uh, UFO researchers are deeply involved in the occult? Right. Well, I mean, one of the big books that features the gray aliens on it is called communion, right? And that guy, Whitley That's Strieber, Whitley Strieber uh-huh. yeah. right, go read some of his other works. He has all of the occult numerology down. So he, there's another book where he like has all the 11s and everything. He was supposedly a member of the Process Church back in the 70s. Um, so Strieber has some very – his intellectual pedigree is much different than that. He was also comes out of – uh, kind of a fiction, right? So he's writing fiction before he supposedly started writing nonfiction, which communion is supposed to be and it features the gray aliens. But um, yeah, he has some, I mean, he did book a, a movie called Wolfen. He wrote that and in there, smiley faces, people have sent me those pictures uh, that kind of yeah. ties into the smiley face killers, which is another thing. But uh, yeah, he's one and they have this kind of thing back to the desert, this UFO thing that takes place in Death Valley or somewhere in the desert. And a lot of those guys, like Peter Lavenda, is flat-out occultist who wrote the Necronomicon, more than 99% He talks about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So what's he doing hanging out with all these UFO people? So all these kind of Jacques Vallée, who thinks they're interdimensional beings, and all these other characters are there, and these occultists are swimming with, you know, in the same waters very comfortably. Wow. Um. Now, someone, and I don't have it, maybe I can send it to you. Um, I can't remember his name. Um, he's a speaker. He's got blonde hair. David something. Yeah, no, I, I know who you're talking about. Um, he comes right to mind. He, Contact in the desert is the thing. Yeah. No, um, I, I know exactly. I who read you're a long, very, the, the longest uh, resignation letter ever, and he was on Gaia. And so right. he got sick of it. I guess he said that Gaia, the whole channel was 
of an occult nature. They they're pushing it, and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. That's well, crazy. like those those so markers are there. Like if you read like uh, Arthur C. Clarke, like these guys know the occult numerology. It's all like the eleven seventy sevens ninety threes. It's interspersed. I mean, so there's a tie-in between UFOs, occultism, science fiction that uh, there is definitely a vein there. And if you if you look, for example, 2001 A Space Odyssey, right, was based upon a book and a movie. So Clark and Kubrick worked together, right? So what happened is, is Kubrick would not – he kind of pulled a fast one on Clark. He would not give him authorization to publish his book when Kubrick made his movie. So that book didn't have the same kind of fame. But in that book, he writes – that the monolith that is really the the thing that sets off the narrative of 2001 a space odyssey very mysterious thing but that monolith is 11 feet tall so these guys are putting those things into you know so-called fiction fiction which is really their real occult ideology if that makes any sense and clark was a pedophile and Whitley, yeah, God, I'm trying to figure out what this is. Yeah, so there's a book by Whitley Strieber. I have to look it up, but uh, he knows a lot more than than just about ufology. I can assure you that. Yeah. Well, this has been a very, very interesting conversation as usual, William. Before we go, please tell my listeners where they can find out more about you or anything else you're working on. Yeah, um, I destroyed my Twitter account and my Facebook account. I'm, I do not regret, regret that at all, but I am on MeWe, Gab in minds so i'm posting there and my books are available on my website williamramseyinvestigates.com if you want to sign copy and i'm actually just about to publish a book within the next week or two so uh i don't have the full title yet but i look forward to you know putting that out and then my documentaries five of them are on my vimeo channel under william ramsey so if you're interested in that i'll have all those links in the show notes william many blessings to you and i really appreciate your time Anytime. Glad to be with you again. It's great to talk with you. To find out more about our guest and all others, please visit our website at mysteriousradio.com. And I want to give special thanks to our co-creator and executive producer, Kim Kyle, who brought this show to you today. And working hard behind the scenes, our team of four, I want to thank them as well. Follow us on social media and share the show with others that may like the subjects that we cover. I am your host, K-Town, and you're listening to Mysterious Radio.